Hello, my little creative caterpillars. Chris here. And as you know, October is All Light Will End Month. This month, we talk with the creatives that helped make the film one of the most awarded coming out of Nashville last year and this year. Directed by Chris Blake and starring Andy Buckley, Ashley Pereira, and Sarah Butler, this psychological thriller is available for pre-order now on iTunes and will be released on various streaming platforms on November 2nd. Now, on to today's guest. This week, we have a conversation with Aaron Munoz. Aaron is an actor, writer, producer, arts educator, cigar smoker, facial hair enthusiast, and proud husband and father. As an actor, he can be seen in Stranger Things, The Walking Dead, Cadillac Records, CBGB, Thesaurus, one of my favorite shorts of all time, by the way, Searching for Fortune, and All Light Will End. Theater credits include the Soho Playhouse, the Actors Theater of Louisville, the Giva Theater, I hope I pronounced that correctly, Nashville Shakespeare Festival, the Studio Theater, Georgia Shakespeare Festival, About Face Theater, Theatrical Outfit, and Improv Olympic. He is the co-writer of Lost Laughs, the slapstick tragedy of Fatty Arbuckle, which had its world premiere at the Merrimack Repertory Theater, and is the co-creator of Two Households, Two Assholes, Shakespeare's R and J, which premiered at the Soho Playhouse in the New York International Fringe Festival. He is also the founding director of Nashville Story Garden, an incubator for original projects that creates film, theater, and modern media from the ground up. His producer highlights include Mr. Mysterio podcast, which won a Best of Nashville Award, Love Song by John Colvin Bach, which won a Critic's Choice in the Nashville scene, and Once Upon a Time, a literary project with Nashville Parks and the Nashville Public Library. Aaron is a proud member of SAG-AFTRA, Actors' Equity, and the 2015-2016 recipient of a Individual Artist Fellowship from the Tennessee Arts Commission. Aaron has been nominated for a Susie Bass Award for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Play in 2014 and is an associate artist at Merrimack Repertory Theater. He holds a BA from Columbia College, Chicago, and an MFA from Alabama Shakespeare Festival's Professional Actor Training Program. He currently resides in Nashville with his wife, Liz, daughters, Mabel, and Francis, and their two dogs, Lemon and Pumpkin. So now, without further ado, I give you actor, writer, facial hair enthusiast, cigar-loving Aaron Munoz. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley.
what's up? This is Aaron Munoz. Uh, I'm an actor. I'm a playwright. I'm a producer. Uh, you may know me from uh, Stranger Things. I played Barb's dad, uh, The Walking Dead, um, Cadillac Records. And uh, coming up, uh, I got a couple of projects that I'm super excited about. Uh, first up is All Light Will End, which is a uh, feature horror film that I'm so excited about coming out in November. Uh, and then late October, October 25th, uh, I'm directing uh, an Artist's Lounge series with Oz Arts Nashville at my company, Nashville Story Garden. It's called Fronteras Americanas, and it stars the actor Renee Milan. So super excited uh, about all the other things coming out. Boom. You do have a lot going on, my friend, and uh, can I cannot thank you enough for uh, joining us on the podcast. This has been at least a year in the works. So, um, but, but you know, like you mentioned, the timing couldn't be more perfect uh, because you've got the feature film coming out, you've got the workshop coming up. So, um, this is very apropos. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so let's just, uh, jump right in. I'm, I, I'm a little bit curious, you know, I, I got introduced to you because you are in, um, one of my favorite short films of all time called the source. And, um, I just curious, how did that come to be? And, and by the way, uh, anyone who wants to watch it, it's, um, I believe it's just up on, uh, Drew's website, right? Yeah, Drew Maynard's the writer, director, and a good buddy of mine, and it's uh, it's on his website and it's on his Vimeo page. Right, so DrewMaynard.com, I believe. So D R E W M A Y N A R D dot com, and the short film is called The Source. So anyway, I it's such an interesting idea. How did how did that come about? Um, so I've, I've known Drew for, uh, a while now. We connected just randomly at a cigar shop, uh, like five or six years ago. He was reading a script and, uh, we we're smoking cigars and I was just like, Hey man, what do you do? Like reading the script at a cigar shop where, you know, there's all kind all kinds of people. Um, but rarely do you see someone like in the industry. So it was, it was cool. We just connected. And then, um, uh, you know, about a year and a half after that, we just started seeing each other things. And, uh, when I started Nashville story garden, um, I had them in mind. So Nashville story garden is an incubator for a new theater, a new film, new modern media. And, um, I really wanted him to like be, a, be a part of it. So we do this thing called greenhouse nights and we, um, we bring together writers and actors and actors cold read things. And he brought in this Sora script and everybody, I mean, it was like, it was so good. <laughs> it was so, so good. Like, you know, there are times, it's a really cool thing. There are really times, you know, we'll have about like eight or nine, 10 page, uh, you know, excerpts read each, like every month. And, um, you know, people are throw, throwing stuff out, trying trying things out. Drew brought this in and it was like electric in the room. Like everyone was like, holy shit, this is like, this is really, really good, really funny, just so good. And so um, he, uh, you know, he tinkered with it a little bit after that. And then he asked me if I was interested in doing it and playing the dude. So, uh, I mean, it was, it was a no doubter. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we, we got together, we shot it. Uh, I think it was just a day shoot, like 
maybe a day and a night. So, you know, it wasn't like a crazy long shoot, but it was awesome. And uh, Drew and his buddy Caleb Dirks, who's his DP, they worked together a lot. So there was a lot of shorthand. Um, It was really, really just uh, great to get in, especially knowing the history of the project, you know, seeing it from its first kind of reading to like the completion. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say too much about it. I would say it's like seven minutes of go, like, go see it. It's definitely worth it to, to come in, like, you know, really fresh. This short yeah. has been like a therapy for me, along with a handful of shorts that Maki Dapp has done. And, um, I, I watched the, I watched the short probably once every two weeks, <laughs> once every three weeks, uh, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's 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 just everyone listening, go watch it. It it Drew understands story um so well. And I'm I'm not surprised that it that it um did so well in the room because it 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 starts with a tone and 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 it's very very direct. Like so right away, it, there's no ambiguity about uh you know, what is the voice of the protagonist and, and, and what does the protagonist sort of need? It just, and then it comes from this really funny uh, original place. And um, the whole thing came together in a great way because you found a great location as well. Um, and then of course your acting and, and performance in it was some of your lookaways, Aaron. Um, when, <laughs> uh, 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 like so some of the like non dialogue parts, um, you know, the, the acting without words, uh, you, 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 you blow me away. So <laughs> thanks, man. I appreciate that. It was, I mean, it was truly, a, uh, for everyone involved, a passion project that we all had a lot of fun on. It was, it was, you know, pretty wonderful to just, you know, be a part of and help tell that story and, uh, you know, uh, have, someone like you who watches it like every three weeks or so that's dope that's that's amazing yeah 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 for sure and um so so you you host these um greenhouse nights um what is it that you've learned about story hosting these nights and 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 what could you um what could you say to someone who was wanting to submit a story what they should really focus on to to capture the room You know, I, I think the thing that I'm always drawn to, right, uh, coming from primarily a performance-based place, you know, uh, is is character. And, um, you know, you talked about Losaurus. Like, that character had an extremely uh, strong, consistent, specific point of view. And when you write characters that... Uh, you know, it's cliche to say leap off the page, but really, really uh, are formed uh, from uh, a distinct point of view. And that human being is uh, is real, but very, very detailed and specific. Uh, that's what makes people dig in. That's what makes people engage. Um, uh, now, there are story elements, right? There's plot elements there's narrative elements that definitely draw people in and and 
honestly, as a, as a writer and performer, I am, I'm still learning about those. So the people that can craft those, the people that can come in and go, oh, oh well, we go A and then we go to B and then we go to C, right? Um, uh, those people have talents that I'm, I'm extremely, uh, uh, happy to have around me and be a part of. Uh, but the, the thing that really lights my fire is when people write really, really amazing characters and then comes the dialogue, you know, like the dialogue comes from these point of view. So, um, the, the, those are the things that really, uh, you know, that I'm learning in doing these greenhouse nights. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious about how this all came about. You've been doing this for a while. You have 23 to 25 or so actor credits. Um, when did you know that this is what you wanted to do with your life? Was there a moment that sticks out uh, as you were growing up? Um, I've always, I mean, I've always been a performer. I've always been pretty gregarious and a funny guy. And um, I... Uh, you know, I, honestly, when, when I was growing up, it was either going to be because I played a lot of sports. Uh, I, I was very active in the church. I did a lot of stuff. Um, and I was when I was going to college, I was either going to be, I figured, uh, an actor or a youth minister, which, hmm. uh, you know, you think is kind of like on opposite end of the spectrum. But, you know, in reality, it's about empathy and about communicating and about like, you know, uh, uh you know, in a sense, just, uh, reaching out and sharing. And, um, you know, as my own like religious beliefs, like moved away from what I was brought up as, and I formed my own thoughts and identity within, you know, what I think, you know, religion or lack of religion or, or whatever it is, I found that like the theater and acting became my church, like in a sense, like the, the, the sense of community, the sense of uh, belief in something other than yourself, uh, and the sense of belief in others, um, uh, really, really came out in the art, came in the the act of telling stories uh, in a dark space. Uh, that's something that's like a tribal, right? That's like, mm -hmm. you know, very, very like connected to our essence of being human. It's like sitting around the campfire and telling stories. And, um, you know, as I got more into theater and acting, I um, I absolutely wanted to do more television and film, just because it's another. Uh, not only is it another way to tell a story, but also an, as an actor, it's challenging. I'm someone who likes to be challenged. I didn't know anything about television and film, and that was rocking my world. And I wanted to, and so that challenge to transform performance, to learn how to communicate with this lens in essence um really really uh inspire me to like uh do more work in that area how old were you when you got your first uh paid gig i was pretty young i was 19 and i got a coke commercial um i was in uh in chicago going to undergrad at columbia college chicago shout out and um a buddy of mine uh, his name is Dan Telfer, actually, and he is a comedian now in L.A. Um, he was like, hey, my agent is looking for a lot of people. They're casting this Coke commercial. And I went in with uh, Dan Telfer and this uh, amazing actor who passed uh, in the past year. His name is Nelson Ellis, and he was on True Blood. Um, he, was, he was on a, a bunch of stuff. It's an amazing, amazing actor. So I went with, with Nelson, with Dan, um, and I and 
I booked the gig. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so uh, I booked it. It was a nice little lump of cash for like a 19-year-old. And then it also allowed me to join SAG if I wanted to. But I, I held off. But that was my first kind of, you know, for real paid gig. Were you giving advice to not join SAG right away? Uh, actually, no. I, um, I, I kind of made the decision – on my own. Um, I knew, you know, you can Taft Hartley as a performer, which means that you get like a one-off where you don't have to join the union because, uh, you know, sometimes actors are cast at commercials, um, who aren't, that's not what they're going to do. It's just the right look, the right thing, you know, and same for like, you know, someone intelligent in film, you know, they may just be casting actors who are not actors in a sense. And you're just the person, the man or the woman for the role. Mm -hmm. And so you don't have to join the union. So that's what I did. But Columbia had, uh, and still does has a wonderful film program. And so if I had joined, then I couldn't necessarily do a lot of the stuff my friends are doing who are in film school, which is just like running and gunning and shooting a whole bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. So plus I wanted to learn, like if I'm in a sense, it's like, I'm not ready to go to the NBA. Like I hit a really good shot. You know, right. and I got lucky for one game. So I still need to go and like use, get the fundamentals under my belt before I can like jump into the league. Got it. And you mentioned going to school and, and sort of always being a character. Did, did that mean your grades were bad in high school and middle school? Like, were you a class clown? Did you get in trouble a lot? Uh, yeah, I was, I was absolutely, <laughs> <a clown>. <laughs> I did, I did get in trouble a lot. Uh, I was also, uh, you know, talking about that challenging thing, you know, one of the things that I'm drawn to as being an actor is, is I'm, I'm constantly challenged. It's, it is a moving target on how to do it really well. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm admittedly, I'm, I'm a, I'm a smart guy. And I got concepts really quickly, mm-hmm. and then I was bored. So then, uh, <laughs> then it, you know, by junior year, I had my own, you know, booth in in school suspension just because I clowned a lot, I mouthed off a lot, <laughs> like you know. Um, and I tell I tell kids today that um, you know, and I do teaching artist stuff and go into schools and talk to kids, and I was like, the things that I got in trouble for you know, in high school is what I'm getting paid to do now. So, um, that's, that's a pretty cool thing, you know, to be able to use those talents that people look at and say, ah, that's, you know, that, that's not, you know, that's not acceptable for school, but you know, for life it's pretty acceptable. And for my career, it's very acceptable. It's amazing how many things are not acceptable for school that will help you be successful in life. Absolutely. Um, I really relate to what you said about, picking up on concepts quickly. For me, I had a, a, a natural sense that there was a part of the world that was being shrouded from me simply because mm. I was poor. And mm. I was very interested in learning about those things. So anytime uh, I felt like a class was was rote or a class was there simply because, and I, w- I was in this class simply because that was the inertia of the times and, and, and it was, oh, you, you have to take that class. That's, that's the way it works. That's the system. I was very aware of systems and I didn't like them. And, uh, I remember I was so bad in high school that 
um, I was assigned to a special principal where I was his only student. So this one principal, uh, his only student in the entire 2000 uh, student school was me. And so his job was to his job was to monitor me and discipline me. Um, I remember asking uh, my algebra teacher a question. He was going through a divorce and I couldn't know that, but I found out later. Um, brilliant guy. He was a chess guy. I was, it was funny cause I was a bad kid. I played sports, but I also was in the chess club. So I had that nerd element to me and I love right. chess. I still love chess to this day. And, and he was my chess teacher. And I asked a question in algebra and he said, what are you stupid? <laughs> and from that day on, I refused to call him Mr. So-and-so. And I just called him this guy. And it just drove that principal that had to discipline me insane. And he, and I would get in trouble every time he asked me to address him, I would say this guy and I would get suspended in school suspension every time. And I was just fucking relentless, Aaron. Like I, it was, it was, uh, it was a, it was a wonder I got out of there. But once I did, what's interesting is, is I thrived in college. Yeah. Gr- me great. too. Me too. Yep. Yeah. Same thing. So yep. great. So we, we're just not system guys. That's okay. Yeah. You need, you need that freedom. You gotta like, you know, if you're on your own, great, let's do it. (laughs) Exactly. So, so you got this lump of cash from the Coke commercial. Were you, were you feeling like Kanye West then? Like what, like what, what happened after that Coke commercial and how long until your next gig? Like, were you feeling, uh, yourself a little bit? No, no, I wasn't. I mean, you know, it was my first little taste of like notoriety you know i was taking classes at improv olympic and second city conservatory and like you know because i was very interested in improv and you know at one time wanted to be like the next chris farley and um uh you know i would go to like second city class or improv olympic class and performers who were on the main stage would come up to me and be like coke oh man you know and uh you know i was 19 so that was a nice <laughs> boost to the ego but i was definitely not you know i i was definitely not feeling myself it's a pretty I was, street I was, street nickname as well <laughs> yeah. people walking people walking up to you in chicago calling you coke <laughs> Yo, what's up coke uh what's up man that's going um no, I, uh, you know, I was really, really passionate and about the work and, um, I, I had never done uh, theater. My high school didn't have a big theater program that a great teacher who, you know, where I am now is because, you know, Miss Carolyn James Bossman, like really, you know, was one of those people in high school who would like gave me space and was like, okay, go write this, go make this, go do this. But we never did shows. So my first play when I went to Chicago, I was like, oh, my God, it was, uh, you know, it was uh, it was like I hadn't eaten anything for my whole life. And uh, I just like food. And I was like, oh, man, this is unbelievable. So doing full plays, I was just in it. You know, the the co-commercial was was great. You know, I I had a sense that like, you know, that it was also a commercial. It was a sh- very, very short form of storytelling that, uh, you know, is directly related to like being a commodity, you know, like I had a, I had a sense of that. Um, and it wasn't, you know, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't fucking De Niro. You know? right. <laughs> like, right. Like, um, so, and I wanted to be De Niro, you know? <laughs> so like, you know, um, 
I, I just kept, I just kept my head down and kept hustling. Yeah. You, uh, you mentioned Chris Farley in there. You, you do, there is some physicality to your performances and to your, to your acting. Uh, was that to, as an homage to Farley or did you have that before and it just happened to be similar? I think there's, a, I think there's some things that line up, you know, um, my, uh, so one of my roommates in, in college worked at second city, um, and actually was at a bar with Chris Farley, like two nights before he died, which is just crazy in the late nineties. Oh, holy moly. Um, yeah. Um, so I, you know, and, and, uh, you know, being in high school when he was at the height of his fame, um, of course he was a huge, huge influence on me comedically. But I think it's just that things line up, right? He played a lot of sports. I play a lot of sports. I think there's a physicality that comes from, um, you know, playing sports and being competitive. Um, and then, uh, what I share is I have a, a really huge um, uh, instinct for commitment mm -hmm. in that um, I'm going to go for something. If I'm going to go for it, I'm going to go for it. I'm not a big dip your foot in the water type of guy. I'm going to belly flop <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and fail and risk. And that comes from like improv training, which is where, you know, Farley came from. So, I, I, you know, not to mention like just physically big dudes. So I think those things kind of line up. Um, but, you know, as I got older, the more I realized, um, you know, that's not what I'm interested in being. Um, I'm interested in being a, a complete actor. Um, I'm interested in, uh, living a life past 33, right. You mm -hmm. know, like, um, the, the head of our theater department, his name is Sheldon Patinkin and he has since passed, but he was one of the people that helped start second city. Is he related to and, Sandy? Uh, uh, to, to Mandy. He's, I, I mean, he's I, mean with, I mean, Mandy, what am I talking yeah, about? He's, Mandy. He's yeah. cousins with Mandy Patinkin. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but he, uh, he's a huge influence in Chicago theater, directed at Steppenwolf, did SCTV uh, up in Canada with Candy and all those guys, and had just been around like Second City and improv comedy for a long time. You know, he started out with like Alan Arkin, like mm. that's that like you know like kind of like ground zero for the improv comedy movement. And uh, the first show I do that I did there, I was um, I was a freshman and I. Uh, I was doing something in a rehearsal and he came up to me and he said, I, um, I worked with, um, Farley and I've worked with candy and I've worked with Belushi. He was like, you're big and you're funny. Don't go down the road that they mm -hmm. went. Mm -hmm. And that really hit me. That really hit me. You know, that, that like, you know, uh, those things do line up with those other actors, but, uh, um, there's lessons to be learned. And, you know, you're still learning them, right? Absolutely. Hopefully. So, so that is a, a really unique and, and specific piece of advice that I could see why you would hold on to that uh, throughout your career. Have, have there been any other pieces of advice that you've gotten from uh, colleagues, mentors, just in life in general that you've held on to that, that sort of have guided your career? And who did they come from? Um. Uh, 
So, uh, I mean, Sheldon himself was a pretty big influence. He has something that uh, a lot of people in our, you know, kind of web of people connected to Columbia College Chicago say, which is um, better to be an asshole than a chicken shit. And, <laughs> uh, you know, that's related to the work. You know, it's not it's not about being an asshole in life, right? It's about saying if you're working, it's better to risk and it's better to um, put yourself out there and not care what people think than be a chicken shit. Um, so uh, that that relates directly to my work. And the other, I think, big influence was this teacher named Jeff Ginsburg, and um, he um, just the the way that he approached work. Uh, and the way that he kind of fed what I was looking for at that time um, just uh, just gave me so much. You know, he's someone I, I called, you know, three or four years out of school. I was in New York and I was like, ah, I don't know. You know, I, I called him up. I was like, I think I'm about I think I want to move back to Chicago. And he was like, don't do it. He was like you you have the talent to be like someone like Philip Seymour Hoffman or whatever. He was like, you might not be. He was like, but you could be. So just keep at it, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think artists, we all have doubts. We all go through moments where we question if the crazy thing that we're doing, because, you know, what we, that, that kind of, um, the, the line between really believing yourself and having something and believing yourself and not having it is, is pretty thin, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and at, there are times when that really dips, that belief dips. Um, and so to have people who can objectively look and give you feedback and say, no, I, I think this is where you're at. Um, you know, uh, that, that kind of staying around and still, going back into the fray is essential to um, doing what we do. Yeah. And that, that little voice in your head or that, that devil on your shoulder, it gets loud at different parts of your trajectory as an artist. You know, I came from music and I've known mm -hmm. a lot of musicians who had a girlfriend or a spouse that didn't like their work. And then you're left with the question, do I stop my art or do I leave my wife or girlfriend? <laughs> right? so, sure. And and now suddenly you're in a, in a terrible, terrible spot um, because you might have talent, but you might not be great yet. So there could be truth on both sides and that creates all this self-doubt. Um, you know, uh, I'm sure you faced a lot of challenges throughout your career. When has, when has that little voice of doubt been the loudest and how did you quiet it? Um, I think that, that voice of, of doubt honestly has never much related to the work for me. It's always related to life connected to the work, such as how am I going to pay rent? Uh, can I keep, you know, hustling and sustaining myself, uh, and being maybe un unhappy, right. Uh, but continue to do the work. I've always loved the work and I've always loved the, like the entrepreneurial side, the business part of the work, but the life connected to the work, um, 
that's, I think, when, when the breaking points come. And, um, you know, one of the, the, the big moves that I made, my wife and I were in New York and, um, we were, uh, you know, we were living in this like 400 square foot apartment in Queens. Um, we were newly married. Uh, she, um, was, uh, came up there to act as well, but started to transition to wanting to do something else. I was in a really good place professionally, you know, was working all the time in theater, booked my first like film that wasn't, uh, you know, uh, a short or an independent. I booked Cadillac records, had a scene with most deaf and it was one that like all of your family could see at the movie theater, which mm-hmm. like legitimate, you know, legitimizes like the fact that you're an actor, whether or not that's right. You know, like that is, that, that is people's kind of touchstone for success. Mm-hmm. And, um, we weren't happy. And we made a list of like what we want in our life and where we want, what we want for like a living space. And like, um, and we decided to leave New York. Um, and, uh, I moved to the Atlanta area where she went back to school to do some prerequisite stuff. And that was the exact moment, uh, in you know, like 2008, 2009, right? So Obama was elected and then the economy went to total shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing is about Atlanta is that the, the like six months prior to that, they passed all the tax incentives, which is the like foundation for where Atlanta is now as like a, a huge, huge place for studios and, um, and movies and television and film. But it just started there. And I just moved there from New York. Um, all of my friends who were temping in New York couldn't get a job at all because of the economy. And I walked down there, you know, with my, uh, SAG card and credits and walked into some agent offices and, uh, you know, started booking stuff right away. And it was just one of those things you got to go with your gut, you know, like mm-hmm. on paper, it was like, you got to stay in New York. You just booked your first thing, you know, you have to really, you know, see it through. But my gut was telling me I wasn't happy. So finding that connection to the work and the life that you want um, is is absolutely where, you know, that really brought me to where I am right now. You know, happy in Nashville. Uh, I've got one daughter um, who's three and a half, and we just had uh, another daughter uh, a little over a month ago. So I've got a family, I've got, you know, friends, and I've got uh, work, um, and that's not connected to anything but being where I want to be in my life and then making things happen in my career. Wow. Congratulations, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah, you. For sure. And thank you for that. I think that's <coughs> truly meaningful advice for any young creative, any young actor that is looking um, to answer the question of should I follow my gut or should I follow you know, logic and, and, and the path, or like I mentioned earlier, the inertia that, um, actors are supposed to, to follow. Yeah. Uh, so or conventional wisdom, you yeah. know, like, like there is no conventional wisdom. There just isn't, you got to forge your own way. Yeah. And it reminds me of, um, this is, I think this is, this is a little bit off, 
off subject I think it's because it's related to technology but and, and tech VC and, and, and tech startups but I think Mark Cuban said if, if you're looking to make the Uber of this or the Airbnb of that you already failed because yep. those ideas succeeded because they were the first with their their kind um, so you can't make a Uber of this or an Airbnb of that actually uh, yeah. you have to make a new something so forging your own way seems to be uh, the way to go um, from a, from a business and, and skill standpoint, um, what advice would you give? And I know that was great life advice, but would you give advice to an actor from a skill standpoint or business standpoint or both that, you know, um, uh, right now is, is there advice that you have? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the two kind of touchstones to me are it's the number one thing is it's about the work. And when I say the work, I mean the actual work of an artist, of a storyteller, um, that, uh, you know, it's something you have to put a lot into. And, um, you know, if it's acting, it's developing your craft. It's knowing you can look at a script and rock it out, knowing you can, bring these things to a character, knowing that if you have an audition, you can do that well, knowing if you have a drama, you can do that well, comedy, you can do that well. Now that's, you know, that's different strokes for different folks, but that's how I approach it. I want to be good at anything that comes across like my desk in a sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, the thing is, um, the reason why work is number one is because there's still people who are like in life assholes, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and people do tell people like people say, uh, look, I'm, I'm all about being, uh, nice and giving. And I, I think that's extremely important to my work as a human being and an artist, but there are people out there who are dicks and they work. And the reason is because the work is number one. Mm -hmm. And so just acknowledging that, right saying, well, it's not fair because he's like, you know, he's, he's an asshole or she's horrible to work with. Well, she's also really good. So the, those things, you know, you have to separate. The work is number one. And then number two is relationships. And that relates to the work, but also relates to the business in that your relationships that you have with the people that you're building with, um, that is your currency. That is... Um, how you're going to get from point A to point Z in your career, or even point M in your career. Um, not only artistically, right? The people who you really jive with. The thing that, the big thing that I, I would say is that those relationships have to be true. You know, a lot of people are really put off by networking. Mm -hmm. That's about it. But when you connect with someone, when you find a friend, right, when you have a best friend, that's a true friendship, right? When you have a, a business relationship or you're working with someone and you click, that's true, right? Mm -hmm. Hold on to that. Um, I, I think one of the biggest things that I've learned is when you walk into an audition, you just have to do your thing. And if people get you and they like you and you like them, that's great. If they don't like what you're bringing, that's okay. Like – uh, for a long time in my, you know, I was a younger actor you want to walk in and have everybody love you and respond to you and like your work. Of course it's natural, right? Yes. But 
the people who really get you are the people that I've worked with consistently throughout my career and who I want to continue to work with. Now that I have kids, it's really, really important who I'm spending my time with. And I'm not going to do that if I'm going to be in a place that makes me unhappy artistically or unhappy in life. I'm going to put my chips into relationships and people that uh, I enjoy. Like that is, It's not work with a capital W. It is just joy doing what we're doing and telling stories. That's beautiful. I, I completely agree with that. And, and I, I pulled out a little something you said there um, about, about sort of making sure that, that uh, you're making these relationships and you're doing the work you actually want to do because it's about uh, the joy and the story. Is there a time in your career where you made a mistake um, and, and could you talk about the time where you said, okay, that was a business mistake or that was a creative mistake. Let me learn from that, that maybe our audience can learn from to avoid those same mistakes. Um, yeah, there's a, you know, there's, there's a couple times, you know, when I've worked with uh, directors and granted you're, you're young, right? Um, you're young, so you're you're just saying yes to anything to get gigs. Mm-hmm. And if it's a high pro, higher profile gig, and you're working with a director, um, and you you, you clash um, again, I think this relates to my anti-authoritarian like high school, you know, <laughs> um, that that if I don't get the logic of it, if I don't get the 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 purpose of it. Uh, you know, as you said, if you're not buying into the inertia, then um, then uh, maybe it's just best to to move on and walk away. That uh, that there are some people who can, you know, and I've definitely in those, you know, like one or two gigs, stayed in and did it, and uh, it was uh, it was a rough experience. But uh, I will say that that having those experiences has steered me away from other things has steered me away from working with people, uh, where I just get a sense that it's not, it's not going to be, uh, a productive or good time. Um, and I don't mean in good time, like you're going to laugh a lot and you can do all that. I mean, good time in that, like you feel good in the work that you feel connected to, uh, that you're on the same page artistically. Um, and, uh, so yeah, there's, there's, there's one or two times in there where uh, I've definitely stuck it out and looking back probably would have been a lot happier, uh, you know, not doing it. But those experiences have provided me an opportunity to see those things coming. Yeah. That's, I mean, who you work with, um, to me, that's everything. Um, and, and with bonsai and it's, it's all relationships, the whole thing, because, um, what we do for the filmmaking community is so, um, behind, so back end, you know, so behind the curtains, yeah. um, yeah. speaking of work, we did, uh, we worked with, uh, Chris Blake on, uh, all I win and Josh Moody and Dave Moody. And I was curious, yeah. what, what, um, how did you approach this project? How did you get involved? And, um, what what was that process like? What did you see in the story as well that that really drew you to the character? Um, 
so Chris, Chris, uh, like dropped me a line a, a while ago about um, this other film called Christmas on Repeat that he had written, mm-hmm. and um, they were they were, you know, uh, casting and um, talked to my manager and, um, uh, you know, I read for a role and put in a tape and liked it. And they cast me, and and um, I think that project is still in the works. But at the time, um, you know. Uh, things happened. They got involved with other projects and they said, uh, Hey, you know what? We're going to still do that. But what we're really excited about is this thing. And we'd love for you to like, uh, send you a script and talk to you about playing stash and all that will end. And, um, you know, at the time my, uh, I think my daughter was like two and I was, um, uh, you know, I was spending my time not only as, uh, you know, an actor and playwright and producer, but I was, um, I was being a stay-at-home dad. Um, so, uh, I, I got the script and I was just like, ah, it's just something I got to do, you know, like, <laughs> like one of those things where, where, uh, you know, it's like who you, who you work with, right. Um, that, that the sacrifice of working and doing that, you want to make sure that the, the story that you're telling, the people you're telling it with, uh, it's kind of like, you know, and all the lights were green on the way to the highway. So I was like, all right. I, um, you know, I really, uh, I liked that. Um, he was like, I, I kind of thought of you, you know, that's always good for the ego. But he's like, I kind of thought of you when I was writing this. Um, and, uh, I could definitely see uh, a way into the character of, of stash who is, uh, someone who, um, is, is brings a comedic element to the film, right? The film is, is dark. It's got a lot of horror themes, a lot of, uh, a lot of themes related to, uh, trauma and, uh, and childhood. And of course, you know, there's horror elements, but, uh, knowing I was bringing in the, the kind of lighter side of Sears, um, into it, um, I said, okay, well, what's my perspective? What's my point of view? And a lot of my scenes were either with, uh, you know, and Andy Buckley's character, um, and, uh, and kind of being the second banana, the yes man, mm-hmm. uh, or instructing this, this rookie. Right. And, uh, with the rookie, I, I had the status. So, uh, you know, I did some, did some research and, um, I, uh, Chris and I were talking about the character one night and he was like, yeah, so what do you, you know, like your thoughts, your questions? I was like, actually, um, I want to get a crew cut. And he was like, oh, okay. I didn't really see it like that. That's interesting. Okay. All right. And um, <laughs> like, okay. Right. So he was, you know, he was, it wasn't a big like, you know, hey, I see what you're seeing. But I, I, I really had a bead that this is, you know, uh, this is someone who believes he is meant to be uh, in this p- position of power and a and a police officer, and um, and that you know that his outlook and where he's located in life that that's just kind of the you know the vibe. So I did. I went to like a local barber in like uh, you know Mount Juliet. Um, this guy who had a <laughs> he had just like gotten off from an accident. He's a barber, and he had like a little shaky hand. And I was like, ah, well, fuck it, let's just do it. <laughs> 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 uh, and uh, yeah, so I did. And you know, Chris ended up uh, really liking it. So and it worked great for the characters. Just you know, and it was a different look than the other characters who were who were in there. 
you know, uh, uh, sometimes you draw from the inside, sometimes you draw from the outside. I, I really felt connected to like the physical, you know, what this guy looked like, you know, with the big mustache and, you know, really short crew cut hair and like, you know, this sense of like overblown authority that, uh, you know, but it's someone who, who doesn't really earn the overblown authority. Yeah. You were very funny in it. And, um, I really think people are going to like this film. I think, it's it's gonna do um, it's gonna do well. I'm, I remember I got the first sort of treatment, the first script, and it was it was pretty raw. But I remember calling my partner Nick right away and saying, oh, "There's something to this. You should you should read this." And yeah. um, because it did, it had a little life in it, even even in its most raw state. So I can't wait for people to see that in November and and see your performance as well. Um, you, there's a pantomime thing you do in the in the movie um, about Andy Buckley's daughter. It always makes me laugh out loud. Uh, <laughs> so so there, there's a little seed I just dropped. Uh, hopefully, no one uh, kills me for that. Um, <laughs> curious. We, we talked about Farley before uh, and De Niro. Are those the two people you want to emulate, or is or is there someone else from a uh, writing, acting, producing, directing standpoint that you want to emulate? And, and if so, what do they do that makes them so special in your opinion? Uh, well, my, I mean, my guy's always been Philip Seymour Hoffman to me. It was just, just, um, you know, not only in the, the, the way he approached the work and the characters, but the, the, the kind of, you know, transformational aspect of his work. Um, and then also his work in, in, you know, continuing in the theater, not only still in, in, in film. Um, and I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I knew, I knew him, I didn't know him well, um, I took a, when I first moved to New York, I took a, uh, immersive, uh, master class with his theater company and he taught a scene study class. Hmm. And so, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that really stuck me is we were working in, we were, we were talking after, um, you know, after a session of, of work, people doing scenes and like giving feedback and he was just talking and he was like, so what are you, you know? What, what strikes you in the theater, what excites you with things. And, and I said, you know, coming out of grad school and thinking, you know, I had a handle on things at 23. Um, thinking uh, my favorite moment and saying my favorite moment in a theater is when someone, when something happens that, um, that is unexpected. Someone misses a line, an entrance, something happens. And everybody on stage is so focused and listening and ready to help at that exact moment that those mistakes are actually what make you know the the performance and the thing great and phil was like that's great he's like but what if every moment of every play was like that and my mind was just like, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> oozing, oozing out of my ears because that's the way that he thought that it was like every single moment has to be that um and, uh, you know, so to kind of, um, look at his work, um, is, 
uh, someone I always honestly wanted to to be, to do, to play all kinds of different characters, to still be involved uh, in the theater and direct and do plays and do, you know, TV and film stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I'm doing it on my, in my own, in my own way. And, um, you know, still someone that I will, you know, look up interviews with to this day, um, to yeah. see what he has said about things and his points of view on things. He's very missed. Yeah. 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 Incredibly, yeah. incredibly missed. Uh, he's one of the people I have like a list of musicians and I have a list of writers and I have a list of actors where it doesn't matter what they're doing. Um, like what, what the film is or what the work is, if they're in it or part of it, I, I go and consume it. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, the, 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 the film, uh, before the devil knows you're dead. Uh, -huh. that, that is mm -hmm. amazing. That's, oh um, man. That should be that should be its own masterclass on acting. Oh, oh my gosh! Uh, and and Sidney Lumet and like oh unbelievable, yeah. unbelievable. I I've seen that film oh easily five or six times, and I think I saw it twice in the theaters. <laughs> oh man, you're committed. I like that. But that's what you say. You, you, uh, you belly flop. You don't stick your feet in. Yeah, that's right, man. I, I love that's it. Right. So, so from that uh, standpoint of masterclass, if you had your own masterclass, and you kind of do with Nashville Story Garden and Greenhouse uh, Nights, um, if you had one month to teach someone how to act, make them go from a guy on, or gal in the street to someone who could do a very good job in a role, uh, what would be the first three things you teach them about acting or how to act? Um. I would start with, you know, I, I came from an improv background and that's what I would start with. I would start with, uh, you know, in, in improv, uh, successful improv comedy is not conflict. It's agreement. So, uh, uh, a constant in improv is saying yes. And not only saying yes, but building on that and saying yes. And so, mm -hmm. um, that's 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 one thing is the ability to say yes and um, because in order to jump into the work you have to say yes when you start with a no then you're already closed off and in order to bring yourself to a character to bring yourself to a story that is not yourself you have to say yes mm -hmm. uh, the second thing is is that if I were just taking one person off the street I would include them in an ensemble of people an ensemble of actors who are all at the same level learning the same things in a group, even if I was just grooming one person for a role. Because at the end of the day, when you're acting, it is not about you, right? right. It is about the other. It is about what you want from these other people, what you want from these other characters, what you want in this relationship. And uh, your performance, whether it's shaped by an editor or in front of, uh, you know, uh, a group of people in a theater, um, your performance is only made better by the people around you. And uh, that includes, you know, in filmmaking, right, that includes DP, that includes grips, that includes, uh, you know, the boom. You know, like mm -hmm. those people help make you do what you do. 
uh, and help elevate your work. So the idea of ensemble and the idea that um, everyone is in it together is, is crucial. And that's the number two. Uh, and the number three is, is belief, not only belief in self, but belief in the imagined circumstances. So, you know, belief that you are this person belief that and this is not crazy belief. This is not like I really am this person. It is believing so much in the story and in your work that, um, that, that oozes out of you. Um, and that, uh, yeah, those are the three things that I would, I would say if we get a month, try to try to knock these three out of the park and hopefully the other stuff will follow. You know, um, you talked about like, you know, being challenged and getting concepts as well. I mean, again, that's one of the things I like about being an actor is that if I'm approaching a role that I've never played before, I have to be an expert in so many different things that I have not been an expert in, you know, Mm -hmm. Like for Stash, I had to, I researched law enforcement. I researched, you know, I've done roles where I've played like gun dealers and stuff, but I haven't really played a lot of like law enforcement roles. So I, you know, looked up stuff on how to, uh, proper training and how to hold a gun and how to work with perps. You know, those are all things that I didn't know about, but I get to learn about. Like, that's amazing. Right. Let, let me ask you this. What, what, are you, what resource do you use? Like, what is your top, when you're doing research for a role, are you using mostly YouTube? Or is it, or is it the internet? Is it Google? Or what, what is it? Or is there some well, for, unique resource that so, you use? So for stash, I looked at police training manuals and, and guidelines and laws. Sometimes it's really, really like, you, you know, you're trying to find the gold that'll help you and help your character. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of different things for characters. I create music playlists sometimes, you know, sometimes I have uh, um, other specific images that I that I use or, or videos. Um, you know, sometimes I use uh, I read book or texts. You know, it, it, honestly, it's it's really different for each role and each project. Um, you know, uh, whatever I think um, is going to help ignite uh, those things that will bring that character to life. I believe Laura Holloway on one of these uh, interviews and conversations we had told me that she does the playlist as well. Yeah. 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 It's an interesting take because it puts you in a mind state and I relate it back to my teenage years. um, Whenever I would go um, uh, into a competition like sports wise, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would, I would always listen to Tupac. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because, um, uh, in certain and just p- specific Tupac songs, and um, yeah. and there were a few other like uh, hip hop um, names that would that would go on that list, but they just put you in a space for wanting to destroy your opponent. Yep. Um, it, yep. It's 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 not something you listen to in the morning uh, when you want to go have coffee with somebody, right? It's right. The, the music right. the right. music has the power to put you in 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 the place you're trying to be mentally. Um, Aaron, my goodness, you are a bank of, of knowledge and experience and perspectives. And um, before we wrap up, can you, well, first of all, this has been my absolute pleasure. So thank you again. And um, I, I just want you to um, 
know how thankful we are for it. And I'm looking forward to uh, seeing the film in November and, and see how it does. I hope everybody goes and watches uh, All Light Will End. You play Stash, a very hilarious police officer uh, in the film. Tell everybody where they can uh, find you on uh, social media and on the Internet and maybe where they can see some of your work. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Aaron Munoz.com is my website, A R O N M U N O Z. Um, and, uh, through that, you can get my social links. I'm Stogie Munoz, uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Um, yeah. And I got a Vimeo page. You can just look up Aaron Munoz. Uh, and my big old mug is up there. And Stogie is just S T O G I E. Yes. And then M-U-N-O-Z, right? Yep. Perfect. Perfect. Aaron, thank you so, so much for uh, joining us today. Is there any parting thoughts you have for our audience um, of, of creatives? Uh, yeah. Better to be an asshole than a chicken shit. All right. That's going to be your quote. <laughs> <laughs> Attributed to Mr. Sheldon Patinkin. Uh, Chris, man, I'm so happy you brought me on, man. Uh, it was great talking to you. And, and uh, you know, we'll have to have, have, some, uh, have some drinks and talk over our uh, high school years some more. We absolutely will do it. Uh, are you uh, – there's a, a whiskey and bourbon and cigar bar downtown. Are you, are you aware oh, of this? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that place is great, man. That place is great. Yeah, so in down yeah, so in downtown Nashville. So we we will do that because I love that place and uh we'll we'll smoke and uh drink and and chop it up. That sounds fabulous. All right, man. That's perfect. Have a good day. All right. You too, man. Thank you. All right, talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It podcast. To find more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects, social media, and transcripts of this interview, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash podcast. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.